Welcome to Tucson New Thought. What comes up for me, though, is what I wrote on Facebook uh, a little bit earlier, and that is that, well, I can't remember, I didn't write it down because I wasn't really planning on saying anything about it, but the, the, the notion that, um, here's the deal, violence begets violence. That's just all that there is to it. And we in this room have the power to stop it. We have the power to stop the cycle of violence that occurs. And it all goes back to how are we using our mind to create the lives that we want to live. And as we do that, we expand that consciousness beyond our physical presence and it becomes a collective consciousness it has to start with each and every one of us and it takes work because we can very easily fall into the trap essentially of listening to the news and falling into a collective consciousness that is not in service to what it is we would like to experience it's super easy i am a news junkie I know people are like, what? It's true. And I'll tell you why. Because I watch the news because that becomes my prayer list. That's what I do. I watch the news and I say, these are the things that I perceive happening in the world. And I know that I, one alone in consciousness with the infinite, constitutes a complete majority, Ernest Holmes says. I know that I can do something about it. So I lend my consciousness to the healing of the world. It is the first Sunday of the year. And it is traditional uh, for religious science centers, for, for, for centers for spiritual living, for science of mind churches, to talk about uh, the first four sections in the book, The Science of Mind. And those first four sections uh, actually are not the first four chapters. Everybody says it's the first four chapters, but if you look, it's actually the introduction to the book. The first four sections of the introduction are the thing itself, the way it works, what it does, and how to use it. So today, we are beginning with the thing itself. And the funny thing is, I'm not even going to be talking about a lot of the stuff in that chapter, in that part of the book. Because what I think it is important that we all understand is the thing itself is us. That's what it really boils down to. If we're going to talk about getting back to basics, which is the theme for January, if we're really going to talk about getting back to basics, it is, it is important. The basic fundamental principle of this philosophy is we are God, which makes some people feel really uncomfortable to make that claim. And I spoke about it in the nine o'clock gathering today. When uh, the first time I heard my mentor in ministry get up on the stage in North Hollywood and say, I am God. I was like, what? <laughs> right? Cause I was rooted in that previous consciousness that said, well, that's blasphemy. I wasn't even brought up Christian, <laughs> but it is so part of our society that that was my immediate response. And here's why I, and, 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 and so I've changed it because I have come to the place of understanding now that I can stand before you and say, I am God. And so are you, because that was what was missing for me was the recognition that if I know who I am, I must know it about every single person 
in my sphere of experience, not just in my sphere of experience, but everywhere, everyone, each and every one of us is God. Imagine is, wow, that song, you know, talk about someone who was, uh, rooted in the philosophy, although he didn't call it the new thought philosophy, although he may have, I don't know. I don't really know his story, but this is a man who was so far ahead of his time in so many ways and brought to this world such a message that I think is so profoundly important, you know, and lost far too early. Um, I mean, really what a genius, a magnificent genius that, that was lost when, when John Lennon made his transition. This song speaks to the vision that we hold here, creating a world that works for everyone. And that's, I think, why I keep resonating with it. And it's always been resonant in my life. And you know what? This is maybe the fourth or fifth time I've sung it as the special music on a Sunday because it just keeps coming back. And today it just felt necessary. <sighs> but I want to ask this question. You know, we've talked about, we've sung a song. Many of us know those lyrics, right? I didn't put the lyrics up, but everybody was singing along because I knew that we would all know the song. But it begs the question, and this is rhetorical, what is the world we want to live in? What is the world we want to live in? Because that is a vision for a world I want to live in, for sure. I've had people say too, oh, you should change that first lyric. Imagine there's no heaven. They say, oh, you should change it. Because a lot of people, a lot of, uh, a lot of new thought centers will do this. They imagine we are in heaven. I don't have to imagine that. Heaven is a state of mind and that's where I choose to be. I don't have to imagine it anymore. I have really rooted my life in the practice of these principles to know that I am living in heaven right here and right now irrespective of the circumstances I see in the world. I know where I am. I know who I am. And again, as I embody the principle, it expands beyond my physical beingness to affect the entire world. So that's creating a world that works for everyone. But there's got to be a practical way to do that. So the question after, what is the world we want to live in, is this. How does science of mind accomplish this? <laughs> right? Because it's lovely to come here and feel inspired. And, oh, I feel so good when I leave on a Sunday. But what are you doing for the rest of the week? How are you practically putting these tools into practice? Because it's personal work. And that's another thing that people sometimes don't want to hear. It's personal work. It is work. And it continues to be work until it's not anymore because you've embodied a new way of being. Well, I actually answered it in yesterday's Instagram post. If you do not follow Tucson New Thought on Instagram, I'm going to encourage you to do that because uh, I am trying, I'm being more diligent this year about posting every single day. Yesterday's Instagram post said this, the study of the science of mind is a study of first cause, spirit, mind, or that invisible essence, that ultimate stuff and intelligence from which everything comes, the power back of creation, the thing itself. You're like, huh? Mm -hmm. I'll do the paraphrased version that I put on the graphic. The study of the science of mind is a study of first cause, the power back of creation, the thing itself. 
The thing that we study is cause. We don't study effect. And far too many people come to this philosophy with the idea of looking at the effects and studying the effects and saying, I'm going to now affect the effects. But as you delve deeper into the tools, the only thing we're ever working to deal with is cause. Because every effect comes from cause, and we teach that cause is entirely rooted in mind. We are studying cause, not effect. We seek to know and embody the ineffable, the unknowable. <laughs> and as I was thinking about this this morning, a question came up in, in, in my mind, and it was actually a question that was on my written ministerial exam. Um, so the, the written ministerial exam, by the way, takes eight hours to complete. <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> I heard a solid no. <laughs> Now, now, James, my, Dr. James, my mentor, insists that his entire class finished it in four. But I was there. I know that it took me eight hours to finish the exam. <laughs> but there was a question that was on the exam, and it said, is science of mind rooted in the philosophy of idealism or existentialism? Actually, is science of mind rooted in <laughs> the philosophy of idealism or existentialism? Existentialism? How many say existentialism? Oh, how many say idealism? Yes, you're forced to choose. <laughs> All right, so many of you are not willing to answer that question. That's okay. Um, it was about an even split. <laughs> yeah, how many abstain? <laughs> well, here's the thing. To know you would really have to have studied philosophy, and not everybody has studied philosophy. The funny thing is, we studied the philosophy, but we never gave it a name. We didn't understand that the philosophy we were studying was rooted in what was commonly accepted as a named philosophy. So the answer is not existentialism. The answer is idealism. Idealism is the group of metaphysical philosophies which assert that reality or reality as humans can know it is fundamentally mental, mentally constructed. That is idealism, right? Like, unless you really looked at it, you wouldn't know that. And the thing is, I got the answer wrong too on the exam. I'm glad it was one of the few answers I got wrong because <laughs> I might not be here otherwise. No, I would have been here eventually. Um, <laughs> yeah, right, 16 more hours. While we had studied the school of philosophy we were being asked about, it had never been identified by that name to our class. So I know when I teach ministry, my class is going to know <laughs> the, the branch of philosophy that is being studied. So I guessed I got the answer wrong. I got the answer wrong. But the reason that I bring this up is because I didn't know that I was an idealist. I didn't know that until it was pointed out to me. I was like, oh, I guess I am. Because existentialism is a little bit heavier. It's rooted in, you know, we get to make our choices as human, uh, human, human expressions and that the human, our experience is separate. And that's the, that's the key. In existentialism, every human is having a separate experience. Yeah. So I choose to be an idealist. 
and I choose to set my mind aright. We are spiritual beings living in a spiritual universe governed by our use of a spiritual law, which is the law of cause and effect. That's the divine principle. If you know nothing else leaving here today, that's what I want you to know. We are spiritual beings living in a spiritual universe governed by our use of a spiritual law, the law of cause and effect. That's the whole philosophy. Every branch of the new thought philosophy comes back to this. Unity, divine science, religious science, we are all rooted in that notion. There's one power and one presence, and we are that power and presence, and our lives are unfolding based on a law of cause and effect. So that's what it is to get back to basics, to understand that and embody that so deeply that we can't know anything else and we experience nothing else. That for me, if there is a goal, that for me is the goal. And in that goal, I know that there's always going to be work to do to embody the goal even more. Because if it is inevitable and in, if it is ineffable and infinite, there's always more to know. So what if we started with that, that there is a life principle that is spiritual in its nature? What if we all started there and let go of our attachment to further defining what this thing is, the thing itself. Let's let go of all the mucky stuff that we can mess this philosophy up with. <coughs> you know, you'll see, I love this book, The Science of Mind by Ernest Holmes. And I know I refer to it a lot and I do random readings and, and uh, the, 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 tr the thing about Instagram this year is that it's all going to be quotes from the science of mind. Um, but those first four part, the first four, the part of the introduction that goes from page 23, no, 25 to 60. That's all you need to know, right? That's mucking it up <laughs> and making it confusing <laughs> and making it you know, ultimately, I've, I've, I've had so many people come up and say, I have tried reading that book, uh, right? And like, I just, uh, oh, I can't, I can't. And I always tell people, don't start with this book. Don't ever start. If you're new to this philosophy, do not start with the science of mind. Start with the power of decision by Raymond Charles Barker. That's the whole philosophy right there. I'm so glad I put books up there that I can always reference. <laughs> So if we let go of further definition and we come to know who we are, which is covered in those first four chapters, chapters, see it, it's, we, we, we call it those first sections of the introduction. If we truly embody that, then here's the thing. Knowing who we are means we must now construct a way of actively engaging the law of cause and effect. And that is what we do. We teach steps of prayer. We teach what we call spiritual mind treatment and don't get caught up in the, in, the, in the name that we use to describe affirmative prayer. We teach five steps of prayer. Um, very quickly, recognition, unification, declaration, gratitude, release. I'm not going to go into a lecture right here because that's for class time. But here's what I want you to know. The first two steps, recognition, which means God is all there is. Unification, and that's who I am. If we knew nothing else, if we utilized only those two steps of spiritual mind treatment, we would not and truly embodied those two steps of spiritual mind treatment, we wouldn't need the other three. 
Because if we truly accept and embody that premise that God is all there is, and that is who and what each and every one of us is, if we are living that premise, then you know what? The rest takes care of itself because the nature of God is loving kindness. The nature of God is compassion. The nature of God is forward momentum. The nature of God is joy. The nature of God is peace. And if we are to, if we are to set our minds on anything to express and expand to the entire world, it is that we know who we are because as we know who we are, it's like in when Harry met Sally, my favorite joke on Sunday mornings. When we know who we are, other people will look upon us and say, I'll have what they're having. <laughs> As we expand ourselves in knowing who we are, we attract community. I have never worried, much to the chagrin of the leadership council, I have never worried about trying to go out and get people to come here. What I have chosen to do is to be exactly who I choose to be with this understanding that I am that which is, and so is everyone I encounter. And look what happens. We have grown exponentially in less than two years. We're about to take on a larger space because that is what happens when we know who we are. Boy, it is warm in here, isn't it? Um, No, I'm just wondering if we should turn the air conditioner on. So community is why we are here. Community, thank you, Mirtha. Community is why we are here. And community means common unity. We come together as a spiritual community with one understanding that there is only one power and one presence, that that is what we are here to celebrate and know that that power and presence is who and what we are. It is our use of that infinite power that drew us to this because don't we all want to learn how to use this? I mean, we say in our mission that we are providing practical tools for personal transformation. Are you, ta- are you walking away or utilizing those practical tools in your life? Yes, the answer is yes, right? <laughs> Not as much as you could, right? Uh, yes. <laughs> it's a small room, I hear everything. <laughs> Our new space, I may not hear everything, (laughs) but right now I hear everything. The most fundamental primary tool that I choose to use is this. Figure out what my habitual thinking is. Think about what my habitual beliefs are and address them. Because all the expression of my life is unfolding rooted in the habits more so than any individual thought I may have. Those individual ideas that come through and are expressed by my, through my mind may show up in the world of form, but the overarching expression of my life is rooted in habitual thinking. So our work is to develop and is to develop tools for addressing those habits in thought. And it is also important that we continue to question all of this. I, got, I thought I'm going to get myself in trouble when I said this at the uh, 9 a.m. gathering. Because what I would like to say is not to take everything you hear, even here, as the gospel, because then we have turned into something that I don't want us to be. Our work here is to question everything. Everything. But that's what classes are for. <laughs> But that is, also why, that is also why my work here will never be done 
even though the point of my work is to put myself out of business. It is not that I have little faith. It's because I understand the nature of this thing itself. The nature of the thing itself is infinite. And there's always more to be known and understood. So if I were to put myself out of business, we would all transcend into the infinite and be the infinite. But I really like my finite experience, to be totally frank. I like the finite experience. I'm having a good time in this life, and I continue to choose to have a good time in this life. I know fundamentally that I am infinite, but boy, what a fun way to express the infinite. Also, what it's going to require to put me out of business is that we all collectively must understand who and what we are. But we take on beliefs from outside ourselves so easily. And those beliefs then become our reality. So it is a constant experience of work in practical spiritual practice to address those things. There's a story about a distant relative in a family. Not my family, I just know the story. And I don't know if it's a great-grandmother, a great-great-grandmother, a great-great-great-grandmother. There is a maternal, uh, a maternal uh, someone on the maternal line who was preparing a Thanksgiving meal at uh, in US Thanksgiving. So it was in November, not Canadian Thanksgiving, in October. And when she would prepare the meal, she would cut the back end off the turkey and put it in the roasting pan and put the pan in the oven. And staying with the tradition of cutting the back end off the turkey, putting it in the roasting pan and putting it in, her descendants continued to do that. And there was clearly some reason behind this practice. It must add to the flavor or, 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 or ensure that the roast is even, evenly cooked. Um, somehow, you know, keeping it from overcooking. But no one questioned the practice until one day, generations later, an inquisitive child saw this happen in the kitchen and asked, why do we cut off the back end of the turkey? And no one who was present in the room knew. <laughs> so they looked did some research and found an old box of recipes. They looked through those family recipes that had been handed down and they found a recipe for turkey. And the recipe, they looked at it and the recipe called to cut the tail off so it fits in the pan. but how easily we can fall into the trap of thinking that we're doing something for a purpose that then becomes our belief system and becomes tradition and habit. And it actually has nothing to do with what we think it has to do with. We subconsciously accept things all the time. So the work is always to address what is happening at the subconscious below the level of awareness, what we're accepting below the level of awareness. And it may be rooted in an idea that is no longer serving us, but boy, it's so easy to get trapped in that. 
So it is constant work. And I'm so grateful that you mentioned, you know, Sunday morning and Wednesday night and every day about noon. I go online every single day and I invite you to join me in that practice. If you're on Facebook, I know not everybody's on Facebook, but I do a Facebook live about 10 minutes every single weekday to say, here's what I want to talk about today. And here's an affirmative prayer rooted in that idea. And I'll tell you what, I'm not doing it for you. I'm doing it for me because it's part of my spiritual practice. And you know what? I do it because it holds me accountable to be putting it out there publicly. So you by joining me there are holding me accountable to my spiritual practice. And that is how we can encourage each other as a spiritual community as well. So there are things that we take on. They may have benefited some at one point, but do they continue to serve us? That's the big question. Is there anything is there anything in your life that you can, and this is rhetorical, is there anything in your life that you can look to that says, this is an idea that no longer serves me? Maybe let go of one idea today. Maybe choose to let go of one idea today. Because ultimately, you're the, you're the one in charge. You are the one in charge. Ernest Holmes, like I said before, he said to learn, maybe, no, you said this. No, did I say it? It might've been in the nine o'clock. See, it all becomes a big amalgam of like, I don't know when I said it, but Ernest Holmes said this, to learn how to think is to learn how to live. To be very clear, it is not to learn what to think. It is to learn how to think. It is to learn a method of practical thinking that can be utilized so that we can create the lives we want to create. But it is not about deciding that God is some overarching being out there that is passing judgment on us. I don't hold to that. I choose not to hold on to that any longer. I was not brought up Christian and I had that idea. A belief that rooted itself into my experience below the level of awareness. See how easy it can happen? I am an idealist. I have come to understand that life is a mental construct. Life is cause. And if I want life to change, my first responsibility is to change my thinking. And here's a practical tool that you can utilize to change your thinking. Here's your homework. Oh, <laughs> I haven't really stated it like that in a long time, have I? I do give homework. The homework this week is each morning when you get up, I want you to ask yourself two questions. Number one, what am I feeling? Not what am I thinking? What am I feeling? And number two, is this what I want to feel today? Ask yourself those two questions and you can choose to either go with the feeling or you can choose to redirect the current. It's up to you because everything starts in mind. Your mind is cause. The study of the science of mind is a study of first cause, spirit, mind, or that invisible essence, that ultimate stuff and intelligence from which everything comes, the power back of creation, the thing itself. This is actually a very user-friendly philosophy. Oh, I see a B. So just be aware if anyone has an allergy to bees, there is a bee in the room. I don't know if it's a stinging kind, but just be aware. And if we invite it to make its way back outside, that would work. 
It's a, it's a universal, we, we, the philosophy is a user-friendly philosophy. Okay, everybody's focused on the B now. <laughs> Should never have pointed it out. Back to me. <clears throat> the universe we experience is user-friendly. The universe we experience is user-friendly. Yeah. Yeah. And what I want to say is this. Yeah. I don't fear bees. I, I used to fear bees. I don't fear bees. <laughs> I've lost all control. <laughs> yes, the concept of control was an illusion. <laughs> Because I'm actually, I have three more things, three more sentences, and then I'm done, I promise. <laughs> the universe is, is, is user-friendly. Be patient with yourself in using it. Be patient. Be patient. Uh huh. I am trying to complete my talk today. <laughs> and this is the way that I choose to complete it today. If we're beginning with the thing itself, you are the thing itself. That's where we begin. Namaste. Hello, this is Reverend Jonathan Zenz, and I want to thank you for listening to the podcast of My Sunday Message. Your financial support will ensure that we can continue to offer this as an option for inspiration. You can make your tax-deductible contribution in any amount on our website, www.tucsonnewthought.org. Once again, thank you for listening. You are magnificent. Namaste.